0: This is the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. We come to you in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Son of the Most High Yahweh. Tune in each week to hear teachings directly from Scripture focused upon believing in the Father, His Son, and the holy and righteous law of our Creator. At the end of this broadcast, we will give you the web address whereby you may contact us for further scriptural information. Well, good evening to everybody out there tonight, listening by way of radio. I really appreciate everybody that takes their time to study our Heavenly Father's Word. It means a lot to me, and most importantly, it means a ton to Him. I'd like to pick back up where we left off last week in regards to oneness theology. Now, this message and last week's message could also hold true to what's called Trinitarian theology but most of the time when we hear what people believe about the Messiah or who is commonly called Jesus Christ what people believe about Jesus Christ we usually hear it in relation to Trinitarian theology that Christ is the second person of the Trinity he's co-equal, co-eternal with the Father He's not the Father or the Holy Spirit, but yet He is deity. He is divine. And I actually do not believe that. I don't believe that Christ has always existed. I do not believe that He's co-equal or co-eternal with the Father. I do have a very high esteem for the Messiah. I would refer to myself as someone with a high Christology, even though a lot of people in Trinitarianism would not. But most of the time people deal with it from that aspect. But what I began to deal with last week is look at it from the aspect of oneness theology, what's sometimes called oneness Pentecostalism. The belief that the Almighty, or God, is only one person, and that that one person, i.e. the Father, came down from heaven at a point in time, wrapped himself in a robe of flesh, took upon humanity, and walked this earth as the Son of the Almighty. Not that Yahweh really had a Son in that view, but he walked the earth as the Son of the Almighty. I think that view is just as wrong as Trinitarianism. And I pointed out last week that both Trinitarianism and Oneness Theology have some truth. I think that they do have some truth. For instance, the Trinity separates the Father and the Son, or distinguishes between the Father and the Son, more correctly. And the Oneness group believes that there's only one person in Almighty Yahweh, that Yahweh is Unitarian when it comes to His personage, and I think that they have that correct. But neither one of them, I believe, holds the truth ...about the Son of Almighty Yahweh. This might be the first time you've ever listened to this radio broadcast, so let me bring this up. That I believe that there is one Almighty. As it would be said in the verbiage of modern Christianity, there is only one God. One Supreme Being. Okay? I don't believe that He has any equals or co-equals. He created the earth all by Himself. Isaiah 44, 24... Yahweh says, I stretched out the heavens alone. I spread abroad the earth by myself. But I believe that there was a point in time, approximately 2,000 years ago, where Yahweh Almighty, the one supreme being, begat through the miracle of His power, His spirit, He begat a son, and that son was born in the city of David named Bethlehem. He was born to a woman named Miriam, who was at that time married to a man named Joseph from the tribe of Yehuda or Judah. So Yahweh begat a, a son. He brought a human being into existence in a unique way, a way that had never been done up until that time. Within this human being, within the Messiah, the Anointed One, whom the Hebrew text of Scripture would refer to as Yeshua. This would have been his name when he walked the earth. This Anointed One, this man, Yeshua the Messiah, was unique, special, greater than any other man to ever walk the face of the earth. He was full of the Spirit of Almighty Yahweh. He had the Spirit of Yahweh flowing in him without measure. There was no measure to it. The Bible says in Colossians 1.19, in Colossians 2.9, that the fullness of divinity, I believe the Greek word is theatetos, the fullness of divinity dwelt within him, but yet he is separate from the Father. He's the Son of of the Most High. He's not the Most High. He's the Son of Yahweh. Therefore, he's not Yahweh. So I don't believe that Yahweh is the Messiah. I do not believe that Yahweh wrapped himself in a robe of flesh. I don't believe that this one supreme being turned into um, a human or anything like that. I believe that our Messiah was a human being, a member of the Adamic race from the tribe of Yehuda, one of the twelve tribes of Israel. And he is the Son of the Most High. And so I believe that the Trinitarian doctrine is, is false. I believe the Oneness doctrine is false. I believe the proper understanding of the Father and the Son is found in what's called the biblical Unitarian view. Now that's not to be confused with Unitarian Universalism. I do not belong nor promote the ideas of Unitarian Universalism whereby it's just a big smorgasbord of different faiths coming in and uh, thinking that we can all just be one in spite of what we believe. I don't believe that at all. Biblical Unitarianism is the belief that the Father is the only true mighty one and that he has a son. The son is separate from him. The son is to be highly esteemed, but the son is at his right hand. He's separate from him. He is the son of the Most High and not the Most High. So, a little lengthy there on the introduction, but hopefully it will be beneficial to those that have never heard this broadcast before. I want to pick up on oneness theology, because oneness theology believes that Yeshua is the Father. I've got a book here in my office by the very prominent uh, oneness Pentecostal theologian. Uh, The book is titled The Oneness of God, and they actually state in there that Jesus is the Father, or more correctly, Yeshua is the Father. And oneness proponents make an attempt to link verses together in order to show that Yeshua is the Father. Uh, for instance, it is stated that when Yeshua says in John eight twenty four, If ye believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. When he says that in John eight twenty four, they would tell you that it is a declaration that we must believe that Yeshua is the Father. However, just a little bit before this, in John 8, verses 17 through 18, Yeshua himself had already declared that he and his father were two witnesses of his authenticity. He states to the religious leaders of that time, Is it not written in your law that the testimony of two is true? He says, I am one, and my father beareth witness also of me. John eight nineteen, he clearly makes mention of knowing Him, Yeshua, and knowing His Father, Yahweh. Then if you go after in John 8, 25, the Judahite leaders ask Yeshua who He was, and Yeshua's response was that He was whom He told them He was from the beginning. And all through the Gospel of John, all through the Gospel according to John, Yeshua emphasizes His being the Messiah as well as his role as the Son of the Almighty in speaking to the Judahite leaders. You can take this to John 5, 17-27, and to John 4, 25-26, and to John 6, 68-69. John 4 is probably the most eye-opening because it's the first time that he uses the phrase, I am. In the Greek it is ego and me. And he uses this phrase in his discussion with the woman at the well. The woman at the well tells him at the end, towards the end of their discussion, we know that when the Messiah comes, he will tell us all these things. And he looks at her and he says, I that speaketh to thee am he. I am he. Well, who is he talking about? I am who? I am he doesn't mean... I'm the I am of Exodus 3.14, like most people erroneously try to link up. I am he in context means I am the Mashiach. I am the Messiah. I'm the promised deliverer that Yahweh will send. And that's the context of the entire Gospel of John. As a matter of fact, at the end of the Gospel of John, in John 20, verse 31, John tells us why he wrote his Gospel. He says, I have written to you these things so that you would believe that Yeshua is the Son of Yahweh. John did not write his gospel to try to teach us that Yeshua was Yahweh. He wrote his gospel to teach us that Yeshua was the Son of Yahweh. And is the Son of Yahweh today at the Father's right hand. Revelation 21, 6-7 is another text that is sometimes used to prove that Yeshua is the Father of all overcomers. And there are certain Bible translations that incorrectly place the words of these verses in red letters implying that Yeshua is the one speaking rather than Yahweh. And this is another thing you need to be careful with when you study the doctrine of Christology. I'm not completely against having red letter Bibles. That is where the translators have decided to put the words of the Messiah in red so you know when he is speaking, and that doesn't mean you should only take heed to his words. Some people claim that, well, that's written in red and we want to esteem that higher than everything else. No. But I think it's okay so long as you recognize it's just a, uh, it's just a way for you to know exactly when he's speaking. What you also need to recognize is this, is that the translators are not infallible. They have the capability of mistaking where he is talking. And I think one such case is with certain Bible translations in Revelation 21, 6 through 7. We see in that text that the speaker, the one that is talking, is the one who is sitting on the throne. And that is none other than Yahweh Almighty. You can know this by looking at Revelation 4 verse 2 and Revelation 5 verses 1 through 7. So the speaker in Revelation 21, 6-7 is none other than Father Yahweh. It's not Yeshua. So those letters should not be in red in those red-letter Bibles. Now, there are attempts made to make Yeshua the one sitting on the throne by citing Revelation 1, 8-11. Revelation 1, 4-5 clearly show that Yahweh is the one who was and is, and is to come. And that Yeshua is the trustworthy witness, the firstborn from the dead. Then when you go to Revelation 1 verse 6, it shows clearly that Yeshua has made us kings and priests unto His Almighty and His Father. Notice here in Revelation 1 verse 6, that Yeshua made us kings unto His Almighty, which means that Yeshua has an Almighty that He worships and serves. Revelation 1 verse 8 then is another reference to Yahweh, not to Yeshua. This parallels back to verse 4. When you read Revelation 1 verse 4 and verse 8, you'll see that there's a parallel. Verse 8 is not a reference to Yeshua saying anything. Verse 8 through 11 is a reference to Almighty Yahweh. Now, in Revelation 1, verse 11, we see the use of a phrase that is fairly common in the book of Revelation, and that is Alpha and Omega. And the phrase, I am the Alpha and the Omega in the book of Revelation, probably more properly the Hebrew alphabet, but Alpha and Omega are letters in the Greek alphabet. Um, As a matter of fact, the word alphabet comes to us from the Greek language. That's the first two letters in the Greek language, alpha and beta. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek language, and omega is the final letter. Now, in Hebrew, it would be the aleph, would be the first letter, and then the tav would be the last letter. Revelation 1:11's use of alpha and omega could be a reference to Yeshua. But, but, the manuscript evidence is lacking in this area. Several translations, like the NIV, the Revised Standard Version, the American Standard Version, the New American Standard Bible, etc., omit both phrases, seeing they are not in the ancient Greek New Testament manuscripts, Codex Vaticanus and Codex Sinaiticus. They are also not in most of the majority text, of the Greek New Testament now we do clearly see a differentiation between the one who is seated on the throne and the lamb in revelation chapters 4 through 5 one is proponents attempt to bypass this differentiation by saying that the language of revelation is figurative and not literal now while it is true that yahweh doesn't have a literal right hand like we would think of it and Yeshua is certainly not a literal sheep or a literal lamb, the symbolism in Revelation does not disprove the fact that the text speaks of two different beings. The Father, one being, and the Son, another being. Revelation chapter 5, verse 7, clearly shows us that the Lamb, Yeshua, takes the book of, Out of the right hand of the one sitting on the throne, who is Yahweh. Now, figurative language does not negate the message that is stated here. For the author of Revelation to write to us that the Lamb comes and takes the book out of the hand of the one that is seated on the throne, the word Lamb might be figurative, but it doesn't negate that there is still one taking something from another. Alright, so we must know the scriptures here, especially in the book of Revelation. We must also recognize that just because Yeshua may have the title Alpha and Omega, or first and last, applied to him, that does not mean he is the same first and last as Yahweh Almighty. Just because you have somebody with a shared title doesn't mean they're the same person. What happens is a lot of people go to Isaiah 41 I believe it's right around verse 4, where Yahweh says, I am the first and the last, and beside me there is no mighty one, there is no Savior. Then they go over here to Revelation, and they see where Yeshua calls himself the first and the last. And it is true that he does refer to himself as the first and the last in the first chapter of the book of Revelation, because it goes on to say, I was dead, and now I'm alive, and that has to be talking about the Son. But then we make a jump, we make a conclusion that just because both of them have the title first and last applied to them, that that means they have to be one and the same. That's not good exegesis. That's not good Bible study. People can carry the exact same title and be two different persons or two different beings. Let me give you a quick example. For instance, Yeshua says to us in uh, John chapter, I believe it's 8, John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. Okay, but yet he tells his disciples in Matthew 5, verse 16, you are the light of the world. Now, should we lump those two together? Well, Yeshua calls himself the light of the world in John 8, but he calls his disciples the light of the world in Matthew 5, so that must mean they all have to be one and the same because they have the exact same title applied to them. No, and you see the ridiculousness of that exegesis or actually Jesus in the scriptures, you see how that is just not factual. But yet when it comes to lumping Isaiah 41 and Revelation 1 and both uses of first and last together, people think that that's just marvelous. But it's just as ridiculous as trying to say that the disciples have to be Yeshua because they're called the light of the world by Yeshua himself. So Yahweh is the first and the last in his own respect, and Yeshua can also have that title first and last applied to him but he's not the first, like Yahweh's the first, and he's not the last, like Yahweh's the last. and That's maybe for another time and another message, but hopefully you get what I'm saying. Now, we must know the Scriptures because there has been a very sharp attack centered on using Old Testament quotes found in the New Testament that are applied to both Yahweh and Yeshua to prove the two are one and the same. And it's important to understand these verses correctly. For instance, we'll start in Romans 14. Romans 14:10 14, through 11 reads this. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not, thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Now that's a direct quote from the King James Version. So Paul was quoting Isaiah 45, verse 23, where the speaker is Yahweh. Yahweh the Father is the speaker. So when verse 23 says that unto me... That me refers to Yahweh. It goes on to say, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear to Yahweh. Therefore, in Romans 14, verse 11, the word Lord must mean Yahweh, as do me, the word me, and the word God. All of those are referencing Yahweh. When we go back to Isaiah 45, verse 23. There is no mention of the Messiah in this verse, not even in verse 10 in Romans 14. Now, concerning the phrase, the judgment seat of Christ, at the end of that text, commentaries like the Jameson Fawcett and Brown, they say this, quote, all the most ancient and best manuscripts read here, judgment seat of God, or the Greek would be Theos, Hebrew Elohim. So, Judgment Seat of Christ might be based on a parallel harmonization verse in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, which was also written by the Apostle Paul. And 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 does use Christ. Romans 14 does not, though, in quoting from Isaiah 45. Now, I've got no problem with the rendering of Christ, or Messiah, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, seeing that the manuscript authority is is there for placing Christ. And also because Acts chapter 17 verse 31 teaches us that it is Yahweh that judges the world by that man whom he has ordained. And so this man is most certainly the man Messiah Yeshua in context of Acts chapter 17. Yahweh judges the world, but he does so by the agency of the man that he has appointed. Now, Paul does apply portions of Isaiah 45, verse 23, to the Son, Yeshua, in the book of Philippians, Philippians 2, verses 10 through 11. We should not, therefore, jump to conclusions that the Son must be the Father. There is way too many verses that distinguish the Father and the Son. They're two distinct beings. So John chapter 5, if we look at John chapter 5, it helps us to understand this in verse 23, where it teaches us that if we do not honor the Son, then by extension we do not honor the Father. We also have John 15, 23, which teaches us that if we hate the Son, then by extension we hate the Father. And I've explained this to people in the natural by me and my firstborn son, Benjamin. If somebody hates my son and does not want to honor my son then, in effect, they're hating me and not wanting to honor me. If my son, Benjamin, is not welcome in their house, then me, Matthew Jansen, the father of Benjamin, is also not welcome in their house. you see that? I don't want to have anything to do with anybody that hates my firstborn son. Likewise, Yahweh does not want anything to do with you if you hate his son. And if you do not honor His Son, you're not honoring Him. See, Yahweh wants you to honor His Son. Yahweh wants you to pay homage to His Son. We talked about in a previous sermon in Psalm 2, the psalmist writes, Kiss the Son, which means to pay homage to the Son, lest Yahweh be angry with you. Yahweh is angry with people that do not pay homage to His Son. Why? Because He's His Son. He's the only begotten Son of the Father. He's the one that Yahweh appointed and ordained and anointed with the Holy Spirit. So, in relation to this concept, if you bow your knee to the Son, then by extension, you're bowing your knee to the Father. Now I want you to notice what is sworn in Isaiah 45, 23-24. What is sworn is not what is sworn in Philippians 2, verse 11. Uh, Philippians 2, verse 11 says, Every tongue shall confess or swear that Yeshua is Master or Lord. Now that is the word kurios. The word kurios does not automatically apply to Yahweh. It is not saying that the tongues are confessing that Yeshua is Yahweh. No. It's saying that the tongues are confessing that Yeshua is Master. He's the Lord. Remember the famous Christological passage of Psalm one ten one. He's the Lord that Yahweh speaks to. He's David's Lord. Yahweh, or David, says, Yahweh says to my Lord, to my Master. That's how we must confess that Yeshua is Lord. The next reference is in 1 Peter 2, verse 8, where we read, And a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Now Peter is here applying Isaiah chapter 8 verse 14 to the Messiah and it is to be understood in the sense that since Yeshua is the representative or the agent of Yahweh whatever Yeshua does is credited to Yahweh or is as though Yahweh accomplished the work Isaiah says in Isaiah 8:14 He says, Yahweh will be a stumbling stone. Yahweh then causes Israel to stumble over Yeshua, which makes both the Father and the Son a stone of stumbling. Now, unless you understand the principle of agency, you will not understand this verse correctly. Let me give you an example. Consider understanding this, how that Yahweh is called a stone of stumbling, and then Yeshua is referred to as the stone of stumbling. Consider understanding that passage in light of Exodus 7, 17-20. Very Hebraic principle going on here in Exodus 7. So Yahweh says here in this text, catch this, He says that He, Yahweh, will smite the waters with the rod in His own hand. Yet it was Aaron that held the rod. Exodus 7, 19-20. Now, If we use the same process of interpretation as oneness theology does, then we would have to say that Aaron is Yahweh. Aaron is another manifestation of Yahweh. We'd have to, but we know that that's not right. We know that Aaron is not Yahweh. We know that Aaron was Moses' brother from the tribe of Levi. But why here is Yahweh's hand equated with Aaron's hand? Aaron was the representative of Yahweh, so therefore when Aaron struck the river with his rod, Yahweh was using him as a vessel. It did not mean that Yahweh and Aaron were one and the same, nor does it mean that Yahweh and Yeshua are one and the same when they're both spoken about as the stone of stumbling. Yahweh is using Yeshua to perform his work. And so what we've seen in this broadcast tonight is that when we go through the Scriptures we see the overwhelming consensus being that Yahweh and Yeshua are separate. I've taught on that extensively. So what we do then is we track back through some of the main texts that Trinitarianism and oneness theology in particular in these past two lessons use. And we see that there is a proper way to harmonize these gray texts with the black and white ones. If you've got 100 verses that say one thing, And one verse that says, looks like it says, something different. In all likelihood, you're misunderstanding something in the one verse. And you need to harmonize the one with the 100. Listen, I appreciate you. My time is come and gone on this broadcast tonight. My time is fleeting. I want to offer you a free book. The free book is titled, Who Then Is This? It's a comprehensive study on the identity of the Messiah, free and postpaid to anyone that contacts me by calling or emailing me. Just listen up for the information at the end of this broadcast. I'll be glad to send you this book, Who Then Is This? I want to get this in your hands. It's very important that you understand the concept of the true Father and the true Son. And so until next week, according to His will, may Yahweh bless you. Shalom. You've been listening to the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. Our website is ministersnewcovenant.org. That's ministersnewcovenant.org. Please visit our website where you will find hundreds of audio sermons as well as videos, books, and articles explaining various doctrines in the scriptural faith. For questions, you can also call 678-347-6240. That's 678-347-6240 four zero. Thanks for listening, and according to his will, may Yahweh richly bless.